narrative told by Cassandra Campbell from what is considered by scholars to be the earliest of the Gospels contained in the Christian scriptures, the Gospel of Mark. It ends in a surprising way, doesn't it? Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's it. That's the end of that particular gospel, though many translations offer two additional chapters, often titled a shorter ending and a longer ending, that appear to have been added later. Those two chapters, along with the other three gospels, include stories of other visitors to the tomb. A risen Jesus appearing to Mary and the disciples. Jesus talking and eating with the disciples. In the Gospel of John, Jesus even allows Thomas to feel the wounds that the nails had made in his hands and the gash that was cut in his side by the sword of a Roman soldier. And finally, the ascension of Jesus into heaven. The Easter story for many Christians is one of God intervening in the normal course of human events and changing the circumstances, literally turning despair into hope by changing the outcomes which seem so certain. We can be transported, this story says, transported against all odds from a situation we fear and dread into a reality of which we have not even dared to dream. It is the story of a miracle. Not all of us accept that interpretation. For those who are hesitant to corroborate miracles on the word of the gospel writers or to rely on divine intervention as a valid source for hope, is there an Easter message for us? To be fair, even if we don't accept the gospel's accounts, we still have to admit that something happened. Jesus' crucifixion should have sounded the death knell for the followers of Jesus. It is understandable that they scattered in fear, frightened that the vicious Roman rule would delight in crucifying them immediately upon the heels of their teacher. There were always open slots available for public executions. And now, without their teacher, without Jesus, why go on? Why risk it? How would they continue even if they wanted to? It is understandable that they scattered. What is less understandable is how they came back together. And rather than hiding, why they began to preach in an amazingly courageous way, risking and suffering beatings, imprisonment, and indeed public execution. Something happened. Something turned their despair and fear into hope and courage. Some sort of Easter moment or moments or miracle or happening or awareness or transformation occurred. Something happened. Bishop John Shelby Spong has a wonderful book entitled Resurrection Myth or Reality, in which he speculates about what that Easter moment may have been. At its very core, the story of Easter has nothing to do with angelic announcements or empty tombs, he writes. It has nothing to do with time periods, whether three days 
40 days or 50 days. It has nothing to do with resuscitated bodies that appear and disappear or, or that finally exit this world in a heavenly ascension. And yet, he embraces the resurrection as a reality. He sees it not as an Easter morning miracle, which he regards as metaphor, but as a process that occurs over many months as Jesus' followers and Peter in particular tries to make sense of all that had happened. They felt that Jesus brought them closer to what they thought of as God, yet could God have given any clearer sign of displeasure than allowing Jesus to be killed? They knew that Jesus was dead, that this part of their lives was over, yet something of it stays with them, even as they take up their old lives and surrender to what seems a foregone conclusion. It's over. Whatever this was, is done. They try to forget it all. It it has only brought them pain, suffering, and danger, and yet something like hope seems to survive even their crushing defeat. But what is the hope? Where is the hope? Here is a different Easter story, courtesy of Bishop Spahn. One night in the early fall, Simon, Peter, and his companions had a particularly good catch. They were happy as they dragged the fish ashore. They built a fire, placed some of their catch on the grill, brought out the bread from the boat, and prepared to feast. As was his custom, Simon took the bread, said the ceremonial blessing broke, and distributed it. In his blessing, he likened the bread to Jesus' broken body. Both, he said, were meant to give life. Then it happened. A light went on in Simon's head. It was as if the heavens opened, and so did Simon's eyes, and Simon stared into the realm of something new. There he saw Jesus. It was not delusional. Death could not destroy the one who made God known to him. Death cannot contain him, he said. I have seen the Lord. Then Simon opened the eyes of the others to what he saw. Each of them grasped this vision, experienced Jesus alive, and were themselves resurrected. That was Easter to Bishop Spong. It was both objective and subjective, but above all, it was real. Resurrection, suggests Spong, is not a divine event entering our world from outside the realm of human experience, but is a transformation that occurs very much within human experience as we bravely put one foot in front of the other, even when we want to give up. As we wrestle with the questions, even when we despair of ever having answers. As we continue one breath following another as best we can. And understand that I did not mean to invite you to a Bible study. Though what really happened for the disciples and the followers of Jesus is an interesting question, I am much more interested in Easter stories that may be happening right now in your lives. What intrigues me about Spong's story is that idea that something had changed so decisively for Simon, Peter, and for others who had known and traveled with Jesus that though they attempted it, they could not simply slip back into what they might have termed as normal life. Something had changed. 
they had been provided a glimpse of a different kind of world or a different type of community of different priorities already shared across centuries of religious and ethical thought, yes, but different than the priorities that held the most power in the empire. Different but known. Ancient but brand new. Love one another. What you would not want done to you, do not do to others. Treat others as you would wish to be treated. Feed the hungry. Shelter those who have no homes. Provide clean water for those who thirst. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And not only the teachings, but the possibility had grabbed hold of them. The embodiment through the actions and the teachings and the presence of this guide, Jesus. And having seen and felt and experienced it, hard as they may have tried, as much as they may have wished to retreat, there was simply no way back to normal. And back to normal is a phrase you hear a lot these days. How long before things get back to normal? Will things ever return to normal? When do you think this will be over and we can get back to normal? There's an understandable desire to return to the familiar with much of what that includes regarding physical closeness to those we love and a worry-free engagement with the world at large. But many of you have shared with me visions and speculations on what Carissa Kluver called in an email to me a sea change in our society underway. A sense that whenever this, however we define this, the specific threat of this virus at the present time, that even when this is over, there will be no going back. And often I sense a yearning for that change. Certainly our necessary isolation has led many of us to deepen our understanding of the importance of our connections and of being present to one another and of being grateful for our relationships. Certainly the sudden halt to business as usual, which I would have said was impossible just a handful of weeks ago. Business as usual, we have been told, cannot even be tinkered with, even for the best of intentions, let alone halted. Certainly its halt has opened up our ideas of what may be possible as society hits pause and allows the earth to take her first deep cleansing breath in ages. Certainly a virus that is no respecter of persons has led us to deepen our understanding of our connection, our interdependence, our interbeing, while alerting us in new ways to the grim realities of decades of inequality and injustice and marginalization as the people who have suffered most before this happened are suffering more now than it is Certainly it has allowed us insights into what is possible. But once once things get back to normal, well, we will most likely come to take our relationships for granted again and allow physical proximity to stand in for actually being present to one another and put off the things we really want to express to those we love until we finish our to-do list. Certainly this experience has allowed us insight into what is possible, but once things get back to normal, 
Won't business as usual as much as it has been disrupted? Won't it quickly reassert its power, convincing us once again of its unalterable nature? Certainly this experience has allowed us insight into what is possible, but once things get back to normal, we will once again experience ourselves as individuals separate from others, solitary in our pursuits. Certainly this experience has allowed us insight into what is possible, but once things get back to normal, But what if things don't go back to normal? What if they can't? What if the vision we've shared of what is possible will simply not let go of us? Listen, I know there is deep pain here. People falling ill and dying. Healthcare workers and grocery and drugstore employees and public servants risking their health and their lives to ensure health and well-being of others. With people separated who want nothing more than to be with each other through whatever they are going through. With people together in houses that suddenly seem so small with nowhere to turn and the frustration and sadness and uncertainty sometimes boiling over. I don't mean to make light of any of this. And I also don't want to let go of the vision that has arisen from these painful and scary circumstances. A glimpse of a different kind of world, of a different type of community, of different priorities. Already shared across centuries of religious and ethical thought, yes, but different than the priorities that hold the most power in this empire. Different but known, ancient but brand new, love one another. What you would not want done to you, do not do to others. Treat others as you would wish to be treated. Feed the hungry, shelter those who have no homes, provide clean water for those who thirst, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. What if, what if things don't go back to norm? What if this vision of a new life has such a hold on us that we are willing to bear the responsibilities and difficulties of this resurrection? What if we bring together the community of people who have had this vision, the experience of something changing, and realize that even if we can't join hands, we can refuse to be divided. Realize that even if we can't unite in a particular place, we can maintain unity. Realize that even as we are urged to get back to normal, to sacrifice ourselves even for business as usual, that we would rather spend our time and our lives working for a new world, however costly it may be, knowing that even if we are not able to witness the fruition of our vision physically, we will have contributed to the struggle. What if That sounds like an Easter story to me. 